Good morning. My name is Marian Nelson. I have been attending Bible Center Church since birth. Um, and I also attended Bible Center School for elementary school. My husband Nathan and I have four children, and we have served together in the nursery, Sparks and Cubbies, and mu the music ministry. I've also led the children's choir for about the last 10 to 12 years, something like that. Please turn in your Bibles or Bible apps to Psalm 139. Please stand for the reading of God's word. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even in the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Marianne. Well, our world is changing faster than ever before. Every time we invent a new technology or a new way of exchanging information quicker, uh, the world changes exponentially and right on pace. We saw that with the printing press. We saw it with the steam engine. Uh, we see it now with, or a number of years ago, with the uh, computer technology and now with our nanotechnology. The world continues to change. We saw this week that our government is changing. On Monday, we, have, we received, got a new governor. On Friday, a uh, new president. There's a lot of changes at this time of year, uh, especially this time in our country's history. But I believe many of you came this morning with a deeper question, uh, a more significant question on your heart, and that is, can God change me? Can God change me? If God can change me, how will God change me? 
My goal for this sermon is to, by God's grace, inspire you from the scriptures that God can change you. I'm going to give you three uh, practical steps, three practical points from this text, and then we're going to close with a prayer. And my goal for this final prayer is that something we can all pray together, uh, that God would do a work in us uh, this year even greater than he did last year. If you have your bulletin, feel free to follow along with your notes, or you can also follow along with your app, and let's dive into this text together. Number one in your notes, how do we change? What is our participation in this synergy of change? It's a work of God, but what does God invite us to do? Number one, God invites us to get mad. Number one, you're going to have my permission today to get mad. Now, verses 19 through 24 are probably some of the hardest verses to preach in all the Bible. Let's look at them uh, quickly together. Verse 19, he writes, If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak evil of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? This one made me really uncomfortable when Marianne read it. Here's our kids' choir director reading, I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. What in the world is God talking about in verses 19 through 22? Well, several things if you're taking notes that's helpful for us to interpret these four verses. First of all, this is what we call an imprecatory psalm. It's a psalm of judgment. We see it throughout the psalms where David will look at those who have made God their enemy, and David will speak to them as the enemies of God. We see it in Psalm 5, Psalm 10, Psalm 28, Psalm 31, Psalm 35, 40, 58, 69 happens to be Jesus' favorite imprecatory psalm. Multiple times, Jesus prayed this hard prayer of Psalm 69 against God's, his father's enemies. Psalm 109, and again in Psalm 140. It's also helpful for us to know that in many of these imprecatory psalms, uh, we see the writer, many times it's David, saying that God had extended his love to these people over and over and over again, but they had rejected his love. And you get this sense, these people had made God their enemy. And so God was willing at a certain point to wear the title. He was their enemy. But it's important for us when we look in the scriptures to see the full orb picture of God. Sometimes we like to see God like we are, which is typically the problem. Like in Romans 1, we like to think God is just like us. But the neat thing about going verse by verse through chapters like Psalm 139 is that we, we have to deal with the uncomfortable verses. And I'm going to tell you this week, as your senior pastor, these four verses were very uncomfortable to me because they give us a picture of a God who's not always a God of encouragement. He's not always a God who is freely extending grace, but we see a picture of a God who at a certain point in time will allow us to cross a line. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 32 calls it the unpardonable sin. 
1 John 5.16 says there is a sin unto death. 1 Corinthians 16.22 says if anyone doesn't love the Lord, let him be accursed. And obviously, these verses could never apply to a born-again believer. But there are enemies of God. They gladly find themselves in a place where they want to be the enemy of God. And God allows them to be his enemies. David is being transparent in Psalm 139, verses 19 through 22. He's being very transparent. Uh, he doesn't sugarcoat his prayers. You see that throughout the Psalms. There's times that in the Hebrew, it's almost as if David is cussing in the presence of God. He is cussing. He is complaining. He is saying, God, this isn't right. These people are evil. Much of the same way that we would pray judgment against an Adolf Hitler or an Osama bin Laden. But if you're taking notes, a good way to summarize verses 19, 19 through 22 is this. God calls us to hate what he hates. And God calls us, calls us to turn from that which he turns. Yes, we are a people of grace and we are a people of love, just like our God is the God of grace and our God is the God of love. But God does have enemies. And everything in the world isn't out for the glory of God. And there are times that we as a church and we as individuals have to say, I will stand with God and not with sin. God invites us to have a holy anger for what's wrong in our community. Until we have a vision of what's wrong, we'll never have a vision about how to make it right. God calls us to get angry that there are kids in Charleston, West Virginia that didn't eat yesterday because it wasn't a school day and so they didn't have any school lunch, any school breakfast, and that they didn't have any dinner. And God calls us to get angry about that. God calls us to get angry about the fatherless and the motherless in our world. There's 400,000 children in America in foster care. And every day in the state of West Virginia, 3,000 children move in and out of our foster care system. And God invites us to get mad about that, to get angry about it, so angry about it, just like with the poor that we do more for Union Mission. He invites us to get angry about adoption, the need for it, and the need for foster care, that we as a church might take steps to do more for it. He invites us to be angry that there's an overflowing prison in our backyard. Blair Hills, one of the chaplains at the prison, tells me that they're cramming twice as many people in than in spaces than it was designed for. Our drug epidemic is filling up the prisons. And yes, we know that justice must be served and people get what they deserve. But what could God do if we got angry about our community and did something about it? Listen, I'm going to be really transparent. I was out jogging on Friday night, and this is my personal quiet time with the Lord. And God spoke to me not in words. It's not going to get spooky here, okay? Just spoke to my heart. And God challenged me, Matt, you're not mad enough. And that's why your vision's not big enough. I don't know what that's going to look like five years from now. But this week, God has stirred my soul. Let's get angry about what the world, the flesh, and the devil are doing in Charleston, West Virginia. 
We should get angry at family breakdowns, so angry that we expand our counseling center. We should get angry that students and kids are missing a biblical worldview, that we, we throw more of our energy into Bible Center school or more of our energy into our families who, who are, have their children in public schools, and we facilitate them and love them and resource them. The same with our homeschool families. It should anger us that special needs we're one of the lowest ranking resource states for special needs students and kids. Can I share what angers me a little bit more? That we're a church that has very little opportunity to minister to those with special needs. And the anger's for me. What could God do if we caught a vision and said, Lord, help us to do whatever it takes because we are mad at what the world and the flesh and the devil are doing to hurt good people. This next two weeks, we have membership weekend. I'd love to have you there. Uh, you'll hear more about some of the specific plans. If you're not yet a member, we'd love to have you. Hey, if you are a member, but it's been a while since you've been through the class, sign up. We'd love to have you as well. Feel free to join us. Uh, we are a church. God is calling us to great things. And first and foremost, he's calling us to get mad. He also calls us to something else in Psalm 139, and it's this. Get real. God calls us to get real. In verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there is any offensive way in me. If you're taking notes, the word search in verse 23 is the same word used back in verse 1 when he says, you have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. It refers to the refiner's fire, purifying metal. God, you have searched me for impurities. You know me. And so, Lord, because I know you search me, I'm going to pray it to be so. Show me anything else in my life that does not please you. Here in verse 23, David moves from all the anger towards the sin that's out there to a holy anger for the sin that's in here. Interestingly, verses 19 through 22 are, are, are there for a purpose. He's, it's not hypothetical. He's not setting us up for verse 23. But yet he moves to verse 23, and it's as if he says, yes, God, all the things going on out there are bad. All the things going on out there are evil. But Lord, help me not to forget to confess all the bad and the evil things that are coming out of my heart. Search me and try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. How do we change? It begins by getting mad, but we continue by getting real. Getting real in prayer, getting real in our Bible study, getting real in our meditation. Our staff this uh, spring is reading this book, The Relational Soul by Rich Plass and Jim Cofield. I'd love for you to get it. If you want to know what our staff is discussing every week, this week we're on chapter three. Uh, I'd love for you to pick up the book. It talks about the need for getting real and being transparent with God. Once in a while, I'll get an email, and I love encouraging emails. I love uh, notes about how to uh, be 
better as a church. I love all that. But once in a while, as a pastor in the last 16 years, I'll get an email or a note from somebody that'll tell me about the sins that I should be preaching against. I, I love those emails, right? I mean, you know, hey, so-and-so is at church today. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, right? <laughs> One day, it's going to be a great book. Um, but so-and-so is at church on Sunday, and Pastor Matt, you should have really preached on this. <laughs> and, and every time, by God's grace, I try to reply with this question. Hey, first pray, pray for me, growing as a pastor, pray for me. But what sin could I pray for you about this week that God needs to speak to your heart for? I mean, think about it. That's often what we do, right? I mean, here in Appalachia, we get riled up in church services. Maybe not Bible Center, right? That's not really our culture. But, but in your heart, you, you get excited about, man, preach on this big sin and preach on that big sin. But how often do we come to church and say, Lord, search me and know me and see if there be any wicked way in me? It reminds me of the, uh, the folklore or the, the folktale of, of uh, one of the uh, Russian, Middle Eastern, and Greek uh, folktales. His name, and I've written it down, Nazrudin. Nazrudin was the protagonist in many of these uh, Asian, Near East folktales. And there's a story about Nazrudin that goes like this. It says that one night he was coming into his house, and he dropped his key in the dark by his front door. And so it was so dark, he looked around for a minute and couldn't find the key in the snow and in the darkness. And so Nazrudin walks over to a street light, street lamp, and he starts getting on his knees looking for the key. And one of his friends arrives. And he says, oh, Nazrudin, what are you looking for? And he says, I'm looking for my key. And he says, well, let me help. And so he gets down in the light and, and he starts looking for the key. And he says, where exactly did you drop it, Nazrudin? And he said, oh, I dropped it over there in the dark but it's a whole lot easier to look over here because there's a lot of light. <laughs> if you were Nazarudin's friend, what would you say? You'd say, man, you're crazy. I know it's easier to look over here, and I know there's a lot of light over here, but man, you got to go to the darkness to find where you lost it. And Christian, I know it's easy to say, let's preach on the big sins of government and to preach on the big sins in our nation. But may it begin in the house of God when we come and say, oh God, search me. Forgive me for the way I treated my kids this week. Forgive me for gossiping in the hallway about a brother or sister I disagree with. Forgive me for the horrible things I said to my spouse. Forgive me for what I looked at on my phone. Forgive me for what I allowed myself to listen to and be a part of. Forgive me for flirting with that girl at work that's not my spouse or that guy at the gym that I know would bring you shame. Forgive me for being so grumpy, and so moody, and so mean. What if we as a church got real? I believe then we would have revival. God calls us to get mad, and then God calls us to get real. Thirdly and lastly, one more word of advice, word of hope, thankfully, in verse 24. God calls us to get moving. Get mad, get real, now get moving. I love the end of verse 24. 
see if there is any offensive way in me. Thankfully, he ends us on a positive note and lead me in the way everlasting. Number three, we get moving. The first direction is to head in a way, go towards the way everlasting. And this verse has big overtones of Jesus. If you're taking notes, it's two words that point to Jesus. First of all is the word way. In the Old Testament, the word way over and over again refers to uh, being a follower of God. Psalm 1611, Isaiah 40 and verse 3 refers to those who followed God were part of the way. Can you remember a time when Jesus referred to himself as the way? One of our members, faithful members, so elegantly carved the mantle out in our gathering space. Notice it on your way out. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. In the New Testament, in Acts chapter 9 and verse 2, the new believers were referred to, before they were called Christians, they were called people of the way. Uh, That was the name before there were denominations or titles. They were just the people of the way, Acts 9-2. So he says, lead us in the way, but everlasting. You you hear this throughout the New Testament in John 3-16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have what? Everlasting life. John 3, 36, he that believes on the Son has everlasting life, but he that believes not shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John six forty seven. verily, verily, I say to you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. We don't know if Jesus and John were quoting from Psalm 139, but we do know this, throughout the Old Testament, He says, there's coming a way, there's coming a person who's everlasting. Remember Isaiah 9? Uh, The government will be on his shoulders. He'll be everlasting father, the prince of peace. There's coming somebody who's going to show us the way everlasting. And Jesus showed up and he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the father but by me. The gospel is the good news that the living God, who demands perfection of all humankind, sent his son Jesus into the world to live a sinless life, to suffer and die on the cross as a substitute for our sins, absorbing the judgment we rightfully deserved to rise again, to ascend back into heaven, and to grant forgiveness, righteousness, his spirit, and everlasting life. At the moment we repent and believe. This morning, if you have never put your faith in Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity at the end of this service to pray and commit your life to Christ. What better morning than today to find everlasting life? But Christian, this verse has applications for us as well. How do we change? We didn't just wave the magic wand at the moment we were converted and all was made well, we're still growing, right? How do we change practically? Well, so we get mad, right? God, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to get rid of this. We we get real. Lord, I set before your word. I set in prayer. God, change my heart slowly. Just like I get a suntan, tan my heart by your grace. But then we've got to get moving. The third and practical step is Summarized in Romans 12, 21, be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
So we have this practical calling to get rid of the sin, but also to replace the sin with good things. This afternoon, we're all going to have the privilege to watch the Pittsburgh Steelers beat the New England Patriots. <laughs> if we lose, don't call me. Uh, but Le'Veon Bell is going to grab the ball, and hopefully we will use him and not just try to pass like we did last weekend in every turn. Uh, but if we can get the ball in his hands, people are going to try to stop him. So his goal is going to be, no doubt he's going to get hit, but he's going to have to hit his opponent harder than his opponent hits him. The only way he'll get across the goal line is if, is if there's more force going in this direction than there is coming in this direction. Simple physics. And the only way you can grow in the Christian life, yes, you get mad, yes, you get real, but you get moving and you say, Lord, help me to replace all the junk with things that are godly and that will remind me this week to live for Jesus Christ. If God has spoken to your heart about drinking yourself into oblivion, forgetting about your family and the cares of the world momentarily, and this has become habitual and become harmful to you, let me encourage you to overcome that by getting help. Getting help, we're glad to point you to help. Reach out to us. Get help. If you've been fighting with your spouse, don't just wait and think, well, maybe one day it'll go away. Get help. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Enroll for counseling this week. If you've been flirting with that guy at work, remember your vows to your husband. Put a big old picture of him when you're, I don't know what it is, but, but find something to overcome evil with good. You've been looking at things with your eyes that you know you ought not look at. Find something else to do in its place. Go jogging. Go to the gym. Jump in the Canal River. You'll change what you're thinking about. <laughs> You've been gossiping and devouring and getting on the phone and complaining because something's not going your way. Just go to the person. Be curious. Overcome evil with good. Instead of sending that nasty email, write down what you're thankful to God for that person about. Instead of making that excessive purchase that would cause you not to be able to give sacrificially, don't make that excessive purchase and use the money to give or save and build the kingdom of God. Instead of letting loose of your tongue, hold your tongue and the list could go on and on. Here's my main encouragement this morning from Psalm 139 as we wrap a bow around this chapter. Let's pray this prayer together. This is a great opportunity for us. Dear God, make me more like Jesus this year than last year. Dear God, make me more like Jesus this year than I was last year. I read a story this week. I'll close with this. It shows us we have responsibility, but ultimately it's, we're waiting on God to answer this prayer. Once upon a time, there was a man who was sleeping at night in his cabin when suddenly his room filled with light and the Savior appeared. The Lord told the man he had work for him to do, and he showed him a large rock in front of his cabin. The Lord explained that the man was to push against the rock with all of his might. This the man did day after day. 
For many years, he toiled from sun up to sundown, his shoulders squarely against the cold, massive surface of the unmoving rock, pushing with all of his might. Each night, the man returned to his cabin sore and worn out, feeling that his whole day had been spent in vain. Seeing that the man was showing signs of discouragement, Satan decided to enter the picture, placing thoughts into his mind, thoughts like this. You've been pushing against that rock for a long time, and it hasn't changed. Why kill yourself over this? Why try anymore? You're never going to change it. You're never going to move the rock. Thus giving the man the impression that the task was impossible and that failure was certain. These thoughts discouraged and disheartened the man even more. Why should I try to change this? Why should I push? Why should I try to kill myself, he thought. I'll just put in my time, giving just the minimum effort that'll be good enough. And that he planned to do until one day he decided to pray about it and get God's thoughts. Lord, he said, I've labored long and hard in your service, putting all my strength into this change. You've asked me to move the rock. Yet after all this time, it hasn't even budged. Not a millimeter. What's wrong? Why am I failing? Why can't I make this change? To this the Lord responded compassionately. My child, when long ago I asked you to serve me and you accepted, I told you your task was just to push against the rock with all your strength, which you have done faithfully. But never once did I mention that I expected you to move it. Your task was to push. And now you come to me in prayer. Your strength is spent. You think you have failed. You think you can't change. But is that really so? Look at yourself. Your arms are strong and muscled. Your back sinewed and brown. Your hands are calloused from constant pressure. Your legs have become massive and hard. Through opposition, you have grown much, and your abilities now surpass much that which you used to have. Yet you still haven't moved the rock. But your calling was just to push and be obedient, and that you have done. And now, my child, I will change the circumstance. I will move the rock. Imagine what would happen. Yes, we get mad. Yes, we get real. And yes, we get moving. But imagine what would happen if we as a church realized it's not about us. It's about God. And we ended this service together in prayer. God, we're tired of trying on our own. Make us more like Jesus this year than we were last year. Let's bow for prayer and let's pray that prayer together. With heads bowed and eyes closed, this morning if you came with us and you've not put your faith in Christ, we invite you to do so. Right there where you see, you, you can pray and receive Jesus as your Savior. There are many prayers in the Bible. One man just said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And God saved him. Wherever you are, right where you sit, would you pray these words with me in your heart? Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. But I believe you love me. And you want to save me. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again to give me new life. Come into my life, Holy Spirit. 
and make me a Christian. If you prayed that prayer, let me invite you to let us know today. We won't make it awkward. We'll follow back up with you this week. We just love to get some resources into your hands to help you grow as a Christian. You can let me know. I'll be down here at the front after the service. Pastor's in the living room. But Christian, we do this just a few times a year. Not often, but this morning I sense the Spirit's leading for us to invite all who will come to gather here around the front, all who are physically able. I'm going to kneel at the front in just a moment, and I'm going to pray this prayer. God, make me senior pastor. Make me a man. Make me a father. Make me a dad. Make me a husband. Make me a guy more like Jesus this year than last year. Will you be willing to come at the front and pray these words in your own words, in your heart, when everybody's gathered around? After Caleb sings a verse or two, I'll lead us in one dedicatory prayer. Let me invite you to stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's all stand. And all who will will join me at the front. Let's pray these words from our hearts. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst from the dream? is calling Oh, come to the altar The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ Today there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes a new life is born. Jesus is calling. You've searched us and you know us. You know when we sit down and when we rise. Before a word is on our tongue, you know it completely. Where can we go from your spirit? Where can we flee from your presence? Lord, if we make our beds in hell, you are there. If you go up, we go up to the heavens, you are there. Even there, your hand will guide us and your right hand will hold us fast. God, I pray for our people. I pray for my heart 
for every heart that's kneeled and every person that's um, bowing in their hearts and their seats. Oh God, search us and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in us. Lead us in the way everlasting. Help us to live in love like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.